on video a thumbs up okay um if for any reason my voice does is not loud enough please let me know either through the chat or you know say hey raise raise your voice up um it's good to be with you all this morning i'm grateful for the opportunity to uh both uplift and encourage you all um and again so i think i'll be seeing you all close to thanksgiving as well so it'll be interesting to see what the next month and a half holds for you all as well as myself and, and my wife, uh, Emily. Emily's a little bit off the camera. She's, she's about five feet away though and, and listening and worshiping along. Um, interesting sermon today. This is not normally what I, what I would speak on. I have people tell me I sound more positive uh, in, my, in my sermons to other congregations. And so, uh, but I think the season calls for a little bit more serious stuff. Uh, the season calls for us to be more connected than ever, despite, you know, I see everyone on your cameras and I love seeing those who have their video on, like what your backgrounds look like. Uh, if you haven't been able to guess, I'm a huge sports fan. So my wife lets me have uh, a wall full of uh, sports memorabilia. And, and so that seems to be, at least it helps me, you know, at least understand the, the shelter in place a little bit better. I'm going to share my PowerPoint. If for any reason, any technical stuff comes up, Brother Jerry, please let me know. Um, so I'm going to pull up the sermon for today. Let's see. All right. Can everyone see this okay? All right. Yeah. Um, the sermon title comes from uh, actually my wife. She, she uh, one day I was asking her, like, I'm, I'm short on, on titles. I'm pretty good at content. And she says between a rock and, and a hard place. And so I thought, uh, a play on that with all of our Sunday school lessons is between the rock Jesus and a sandy place. Uh, so my name is Gary Kwan. You guys can stay in touch with me by email. I think Brother Jerry or Brother Jimmy is going to be emailing this uh, PowerPoint slide to you later on. Uh, feel free to reach out. Uh, I may not be able to respond, you know, ASAP, but I'll, I'll get back to you as soon as I quickly can. Uh, I'm a therapist at Good Samaritan Hospital and a Christian Counseling Center in Sunnyvale. I also have the privilege of teaching uh, college students at William Jessup University. And then uh, kind of a fun thing I do is I, I write uh, for the number one rated San Antonio Spurs uh, community. If you're basketball fans, yes, we didn't make the playoffs, but I still get to write and, and cover some of the games during the regular season. And then proud uncle and aunt to 16 nieces, nephews, and godchildren. Although the one, god, one godchild of the two is now 23. So I, just, I guess you could say she's still my niece. And so, uh, Emily and I have been blessed to have been able to uh, uplift people's lives. And uh, I'll talk about the travel thing. This, this picture is in Banff and uh, that was from last November and uh, feels like we haven't been able to travel since then. So a general reminder for us about sermons. This is from uh, my good friend, Don Etten. Uh, he talked about two things that we need to pick up from, uh, from messages. We need to understand what God was telling the original hearers of that passage and then two, to meaningfully understand and apply it to our lives. And I have this cute picture of, of a mom and her daughter playing the telephone game. And oftentimes what happens, one of the biggest mistakes that happens in sermons is that we take uh, issues that were really critical in the past um, and then try to apply it unfairly or possibly inaccurately uh, to the current times. And so there's a good chance that if I, let's say, speak on the Old Testament, I'm not going to be telling you how many cattle or sheep to shear or how many uh, livestock to manage, right? Because we don't have uh, livestock, I'm guessing, among all of us on the call. Um, so, so the idea is we listen to what God was telling the people in, in the previous uh, message, 
and then uh, try to understand it and, and apply it to our lives, uh, not only meaningfully, but sincerely. And so the purpose of James, I, I think this is something that um, we need to keep in mind for our congregation. Um, James gave instruct, this is from patheos.com. James gave instructions for the Jews who were dispersed or spread abroad and well beyond the Jerusalem church. And so he wanted them to stay connected to the body of Christ. Uh, so with all this beautiful technology, we have Rebecca uh, leading worship um, from her place. And then we have brother Jerry with uh, his unique background from his place. And so we, we live at a time where we are as connected as we humanly can. And yet the reality was back then in, in Bible times, uh, these folks were all over the place. Uh, there were any place where there was Greek influence, which means most of what we call now the Middle East and possibly North Africa. So that's a huge number of hundreds of miles of, of uh, distance between believers. And so the only way back then was to essentially write letters and to encourage people uh, through our voices, which is what happened during worship today. Okay. And so though we are virtually connected, uh, we have never encountered so many uh, disconnections, uh, not only from uh, each other, but from the world and from others and from the things that we need to do. Uh, some of you are, I know, struggling with school. Some of you are struggling with productivity at work. And so my hope is that at the end, during the application part, you'll be encouraged by some of the stuff that God has uh, shared with me. Okay. All right, so jumping into the passage, I want to uh, I want to pray for us real quick. I want to make sure that I'm not getting in the way of this message. And so let me, let me pray for us. Uh, God, thank you for the, uh, the privilege to speak to this congregation at Fourth Home. I pray for open hearts. I pray for my uh, mouth to shut to the things that I want to say and open to the things that you plan to say. And so I pray that uh, this congregation will be uplifted and encouraged to act on your behalf, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So James 4, it's, this is one of the more serious parts. I, I think the easy thing in any, in any sermon would be to cover uh, James chapter 1, which is the perseverance uh, passage. But I wanted to start with something that, that if you watch enough news or if you listen to enough social media that's related to any sort of thing that's happening uh, around the world, what do you see? You see fights and quarrels. Uh, you see um, you know, quarreling and fighting over things we want but we can't get. Uh, we see people that are not asking asking God, but they're essentially trying to establish for themselves. Excuse me. Um, and so in verses one through three, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, and so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Okay. I want to clarify some, some things for, for us. Um, that last part in terms of spending on, on what you get on your pleasures, uh, I am not, you know, since none of you have met, has met me before today live, I'm not saying never buy anything ever again. And so I want to be careful about what in my, in my uh, line of work we call all, all or nothing thinking. Like either we completely spend on our pleasures or we don't spend at all that sort of behavior or thinking tends to get us in trouble in, in different ways. But really what, what I think James was trying to get at is you quarrel and fight. You basically don't know what you want to quarrel and fight. Now, I, I think many of you guys are in high school or beyond. So when I say quarrel and fight, fight what is it that you think of? We probably think of uh, little kids. Um, 
I, I know that uh, with having this many 16, you know, uh, nieces and nephews and godchildren that Christmas shopping becomes a real hassle, not a hassle, but a real battle some years because essentially as soon as the gifts get open, uh, the kids fight for what they think is right. They grab at each other's toys and then they try to get all the toys at once. Uh, you know, we have these twin three-year-old, uh, soon to be three-year-old nieces and it took my wife 20 minutes to pick out the right gift because we're concerned that they're going to rip it away from each other. And one kid has two gifts and the other has, has zilch or zero. Yeah. And so that, that this is, the idea isn't that we, we don't get to spend on pleasures, but I guess if we're thinking about these current times, especially if we can't go out and eat uh, together, if we can't um, travel as much, that there, there's probably a message in there from God saying, hey, wh what is it that we need the most? And what is it that we need to do the most? And, and that's something to keep in mind for, for later on. Advancing the passage in verses 13 and 14. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Again, I want to provide some context. Um, my wife and I love to travel. In my line of work, you know, I like getting away from the Bay Area to sort of feel good about the world. And so we've had a total of four canceled trips this year. And I'm willing to bet for all of you who were looking towards Disney World or, you know, traveling to see relatives, that those trips have been reduced or, or gone away altogether. And so there's some good wisdom here from James, like we don't even know what will happen tomorrow. I hear that uh, even in our state of California, the shelter in place might be lifted. It might be reenacted if there's more uh, COVID cases. And so there's an uncertainty that really gets at people's uh, irritability and anxiety and, and upset. And so there's some wisdom to look at these, these words from James many, many uh, hundreds of years ago. We don't even know what will happen tomorrow and yet we make these plans. Next year we'll go to Phoenix or we're gonna go do business in, in Asia and bring back a lot of business. And so we don't get the right to say that. And that's just something coming from uh, from me, Brother Gary, like we don't get the right to say to God, hey, I need to go to Michigan next week to do more business. Uh, essentially puts me in charge and God uh, almost in the, in the passenger seat. And so James is very clear, like that's not how it works. Okay. And then at the end of the passage, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Okay. Uh, Emily and I watched uh, a comedy show yesterday. There was a comedian uh, saying like, you know, when people post pictures of themselves on Instagram or on Facebook or, or Twitter, a lot of times that's essentially humble bragging. You've heard that term. Maybe, maybe you haven't heard that term, but essentially it's saying I'm blessed to have, you know, business class first row 1A, uh, seat 1A or I'm very blessed to have bought this new house, you know, during a COVID time at 47% off. Or when we go to Black Friday next month, I got to buy a Dell laptop for $79 and also a, you know, 80 inch, you know. And so you've probably seen your, your social media flooded with that thing. Like I got such a great deal and I paid so little for it and I'm bragging about it, right? And so I think that if we're talking about, you know, we, we've all bragged at different points in our lives. But essentially what, what James is saying here is that's not exactly what God wants, is it? Uh, and so if it's the Lord's will, we will live and then get to do this or that. So we sometimes take the, the living uh, for granted, which I, I know I have during this time frame. 
Uh, and for those of you who have had family members who have suffered or, uh, you know, sadly people that have had COVID in your families or people that have lost jobs, we know that we can't take this stuff for granted. And so pandemic living continues to remind us, this is from a bishop, I think somewhere back east, you're watching people go through withdrawals from the emotional addiction uh, to the myth of certainty. So I'm gonna repeat that again, maybe one or two more times. You are watching people go through withdrawals from the emotional addiction to the myth of certainty. And so the, the thing I want us to focus on since, since it's right there in, on your screen, when you hear the terms withdrawal and addiction, and myth. These are all sorts of things that in my world we talk about for people that have substance use or behavioral addictions, okay? And yet it's sort of awkward when it's applied to us as believers. And yet there's some truth to this. We are watching people go through withdrawals from the addiction to certainty. If I take out all the, the fluff words, we're basically withdrawing from certainty. And, and so for some of us, it might mean, uh, you know, instead of go back to school live, we're on Zoom. Like we might be spending the entire week uh, for you students, you might be on Zoom more than your parents uh, that are working full time. Okay, and so you're you're watching people go through withdrawals from the emotional addiction to this myth. Okay. And so I want to talk about three types of grief that have come up during this time. And I, I think um, for the for the sister that mentioned about about their therapist, you're probably working. You know, all of us are probably working through these sorts of things. And I want to define three in particular because I, I think this is what's happening not only to your and my congregations, but to people in general. So think of these as a sort of three signposts for, for, to, to watch for. Uh, the first is complicated grief. And so this is something that an unresolved grief that can include depression, anxiety, or different behavior. Uh, one of the things I'm very upfront about is my, my grandmother died on my birthday uh, 20 years ago. And so every birthday is always a, you know, complicated time. It's a time of crying. It's a time of weeping, but it's also a time of joy because uh, I have a sister. One of my three sisters was also born on the same day. So from cry to happy to hugs to more cry. And so this is sort of a picture of what it looks like is that we have this grief that never gets quite resolved. And uh, that can range from anything. We don't get the right to judge uh, what whose grief is more important than the other. So in this case, uh, some of you younger folks might be grieving the fact that we can't worship together. I'm also grieving that fact. Um, some of you might have lost relatives during this time and you can't properly grieve them uh, and we can't uh, properly commemorate them. That is super complicated and devastating. Okay? Um, there's a second type of grief that, that has come up and, and this is something where uh, I want us careful as a church congregation to be hurting people in this way, maybe accidentally. Um, so I'll use an example. So essentially let me pick on someone in the on the call so let, and I, I think let's say there's bob in the congregation and bob is anticipating not being able to go to school because his parents uh, going to uc davis or cal poly because his parents lost their jobs and so there's an anticipatory uh sort of grief that happens for bob because there's a shock about not being able to go to college uh, or at least the college that they want and then possibly denying the loss you know perhaps bob confronts his parents well why didn't we save enough for college for my college, why didn't we? Why do we have to move? Why do we have to sell and uh, possibly move into a smaller place? Like those are very real things that are happening outside of our congregations, and also inside possibly. And so the the term anticipatory, we anticipate something happening. Uh, one of the things about that my wife reminds me is that because I, I grew up in Texas, so we 
we can know when our natural disasters are coming. We see hurricanes coming and we get to plan for it. But the one big thing that we are anticipating here in California is the next big earthquake. And that's something that brother Jerry, you know, my friends, Tim and Serena, myself, we've been sort of planning for, and yet we have no clue when that'll happen. And so the key word here is, is essentially a shock about an upcoming loss. And the shock looks something like, I don't know how to respond to it. And so for those of you who are on the Zoom call and you're, you're experiencing still sort of like shell shock from just this last seven months, I'm hoping to give you a word for that. And then you can sort of respond to it or have uh, some means of reaching out for help. This third one, um, primitive agony, and, and I didn't discover this term until about a month ago, uh, but there's a gentleman last century that, and sometimes last year feels like last century, but I mean in the 1900s, uh, he talked about this behavior where we go back to uh, our infant behavior, and if you've been around your baby brother or sister, you know what it's like when they don't get fed or they, or they poop their diaper, and, and so they just cry and cry and cry and cry and cry, the cry is ear piercing, it is soul sucking, and it feels like everything's gonna be over because this kid is basically uh, drawing all the air on the planet to themselves and their cries. And so the, the term that this gentleman uses is a, is a primitive agony because what it looks like from, uh, from a psychological standpoint is we go back to behavior we did when we were wee little babies, but we were not there back then. We don't remember what we were like as babies. And so it's a sort of recall back to an earlier time in our lives where we just don't know what to do, so we cry. We sit there and we uh, sit with a full diaper and we cry. And so when we talk about you know, behavior, uh, I, I, I tend to wanna leave like the major topics like politics and sports out of these sermons. But when you watch people, um, I want you to watch for this in yourself and as well as your loved ones, that there's more sort of primitive behavior, meaning like there's more anger for men that there's more uh, possibly anger for women, but more for men, uh, because that's usually depression turned outwards and inwards as well. Um, but this is behavior that is not normal. The other two in green, complicated and anticipatory, are essentially normal behavior because we live on an imperfect planet and we are searching for our heavenly home someday. So hopefully that makes sense to you. The, the one in yellow is something to watch for, and not only in yourself, uh, but in your, your parents and in your loved ones and and maybe girlfriend or boyfriend. Um, the, the term I want, you know, and, and I don't want these terms to be used as in, you know, hey, Beatrice, you're doing this, or hey, brother Jerry, you're doing this, but to be able to observe people and say, how can I pray for you? How can I support you? It looks like you're in shock. Um, can I schedule a, a Zoom dinner with you later this week? And so we'll get into applications of what that looks like uh, later on, but three, these three terms, uh, I want you to start getting used to that so long as we're still sheltering in place so long as we are still living in a time of uncertainty. And so what I've been telling people that I counsel, um, you know, we happen to live, those of you who are in and around Saratoga, um, you know that the, the ocean is about 30 miles west of here, but 30 miles east of here in Livermore, it's essentially desert. And so we live in this one little spot of land that happens to be like this little brook or this little walkway, but to the left or right is uncertainty. And so there's not much difference for us between life being dry and desolate, like a desert, um, versus, versus it being an overwhelming and treacherous like the ocean. So uh, again, we happen to live in the, one of the most beautiful places on the planet, and yet uh, not too far away is you know, difficult places. And so we need to take a lesson from that, that though the blessing is that we live here, we get to be using this wonderful technology, 
that there's there's a lot of uh, shall I say danger or physical struggles that are near us. And so I don't know about you guys, but uh, since shelter in place back in second week of March, uh, and and for me there's no sports to watch back then. Uh, my wife and I have been watching a lot of Korean dramas, and I'm sure some of you have been watching as well. And so one of the ones we got to watch was uh, Itaewon class, right? And so not plugging that show, I want to make sure I'm not plugging anything in particular, but uh, one, of the, one of the biggest lessons from these, these Korean shows in particular is they're about class systems. They're, they're about between rich and poor, rich beating up on poor, poor trying to survive. I think the most recent uh, Oscar winning movie was uh, Parasite, which is also about differentiations in class about rich and poor than access to things and no access to things. And so one of the, one of the uh, unifying forces for these, these, these shows is that it requires the main characters, usually the, as my wife calls them, the hottest characters to, to choose between a rich yet shallow life or a not so rich yet very fulfilling life. And there's no in between, there's no middle class. And so um, in this particular case, the, the person that in Itaewon class that basically wanted to keep their rich life says, I'm the most precious thing to me. There's, there's no other way to say it. I'm the most precious thing to me. And if you wanna be part of my world, you better sort of kowtow to that or you better sort of uh, fall into place. And some of us may have caught ourselves in that trap in our own lives. Um, I know for a fact, I'm a little bit older than everyone on the call. Uh, there was a time in my twenties where, you know, get a wonderful career, make over X number of dollars per year uh, have a beautiful wife, have two beautiful kids, uh, or four, um, some even number, and then have a nice house in San Jose, and I got it made, right? And so guess what 2020 did to that idea, right? And so this is something where I want us to think about, even in our pop culture, we're presented with these notions of nothing is guaranteed. And so with that said, um, for us Christians, back to, back to Bible stuff, I want to reiterate, it has always been literally, literally a life and death situation for us. And so for the folks in, in scripture, because they don't have the intelligence that you all do to, you know, not only your innate intelligence, but also the ability to Google or Wikipedia or to do uh, EBSCO or do research, these folks only had their, their eyes and ears. And so oftentimes a preacher like myself would come and say, they would present two situations. Either you sacrifice uh, your life in service to God or you're selfish or you know, we've all heard uh, New Testament terms, either we cling to Jesus, we cling to God, or we die as a result. Or the more that we cling to God, the more old life, the more old life dies. And so it sounds very much like a, the thing I talked about earlier, um, black or white thinking. But in reality, with God, it's very clear the love that he's given us is so much that it's worth for us to sacrifice. And, and because that's what Jesus did on the cross and throughout his uh, time on the earth. And so I want to clarify it as, as much as it sounds like we can live a neutral life for us believers on the call. We know that this is essentially our life now is that because of the love that God has poured into us, because of the hope that Jesus gave us on the cross and overcoming death, that we have this new life. Uh, and granted, it sounds like a million other sermons you've heard, but especially during these times, I, my hope is that this will hit very much home for you like it's hit for me. And so again, this, this little flow chart indicates a selfish life essentially is equatable to death and a life of sacrifice, just like our, our savior has done and a life of service to others is essentially real life. Okay. And I'm using air quotes in a positive way. Right. And so three, th these are lessons that, that we can't 
you know, run away from, but these are three tough lessons uh, from the passage. And so in verses 13 and 14, which is a little bit later on, uh, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. One of the other things that's come up for those of you who are in college, um, I wanna clarify one point. Yes, you can pursue your education. I, I, I think that that's not within doubt. What I'm trying to hint at here is that we don't get the right to say, well, you know, God, I was supposed to graduate in four years. That way I could work for my dad or grandpa's uh, other firm and start a career and be married by 32 and then have my four kids by 41 and then retire at 53. And we'll get to why that sounds stinky, even though that's a very worthwhile goal. And there's a good chance that brother Jerry and myself probably have told that to younger people or heard that from our parents. Okay. And you've probably heard that from your parents too. So in some ways I want us to challenge sort of these old notions um, about having this life and having a certain way the life goes. And so the biggest 2020 health lesson, we are never guaranteed a day, a month, a year, a decade, et cetera. One of my, uh, one of the people that I trained in my previous job, he lost uh, three family members to COVID all within a matter of a month's time frame. And so someone that what I saw as a very happy human being went from just happy and, and uh, uh, ecstatic about life to being depressed within a matter of two months. And, I, and frankly, we don't blame him, do we? Because he's lost you know, these, these family members that meant a lot to him. And so what is the solution? And, and this is not an easy thing to say out loud it's very easy to say, but it's another thing to accept it. But if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And I think uh, I hear when I, when I hear that term, we will do this or that, I very much have my mother's voice in my head because she would often tell me the lesson early on in life. You know, you can't assume one thing or another, you have to work every day. And so before you do this or that. And because I grew up in a Cantonese household, we weren't allowed to think about, you know, a year in advance, uh, but we had to just focus on the today or tomorrow or the next day. And so in this case, as believers, if it's the Lord's will, we will live. That, that's, that's a guarantee for the time we're here on this earth. And yet, then we get to do this or that. It has to be, um, someone had to remind me of the mathematical operation of orders uh, back at work this week. Uh, and if you don't remember what that was, I forget the acronym, but it was something like parentheses first, and then something, I think addition, subtraction, you name it. So you get, those of you who are students probably know it better than I do, but essentially until we take care of the parentheses, then we can't do the other stuff. And that the biggest parentheses we have is from God telling us like, hey, I'm in charge of your life, I'm in control. And until we don't, until we understand that fully, then we can't act on that. Okay. Tough lesson number two, for, for those of us who are looking at immediately at the uh, cartoon in the corner, or the caption, this might look very familiar because that looks like our little sibling, or maybe that was us, or maybe that was our older sibling growing up. Believe it or not, this graphic came from a Malaysian parenting magazine, okay? Um, so tough lesson number two from the passage, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. And so this is where possibly the train goes off the rail for some of us. You're, you're, some of you might be thinking, Brother Gary, like, what do you mean? I need to plan out the rest of my life, don't I? I can't just willy nilly go through my next day. And so I'm saying that's, that's not what, what James, I think, was getting at here. The planning isn't evil in itself. On the other hand, the attitude of entitlement and pretentiousness are. And so I want us thinking, let's spend like 15 seconds thinking about who is the most pretentious person that you know. And some of us are like, that's my friend blank, or that is my 
uh, little sibling blank, or this is my professor blank, or maybe this is the guest speaker blank, right? So, um, so I want us to think about the most pretentious person and then think about what it is that, that annoys you about them. And it's probably something that looks like this picture. I don't care. I want that and I want it now. He has one. Why can't I have one? Leave me alone. Don't touch my shoulder. Uh, why are you staring at me, dad? Right. So these are all things that for us having been children and some of us haven't been children in a while, but we remember those times. Uh, I remember asking my mother for M&Ms at the grocery store almost every time we went. And uh, I want you guys to guess how many times I ever got M&Ms. It is zero. <laughs> so not that I, not that I've forgotten about that. But um, so the planning isn't the issue, guys. It's the entitlement and pretentiousness about it that somehow God owes us this future when all you have to do is look possibly to your neighbor or to your fellowship, Christian in your fellowship that had to move, or you're looking at a church family that, that is basically jobless and incomeless. And so the solution here, and so the, the, the entitlement really is, I don't deserve to suffer. And I want, to, I want you to sit on that one for, for a few seconds. I don't deserve to suffer. Now, without laying it on super thick, I want us to look at what our Savior did. Occupied a human body on this planet, went to the cross, uh, only, did, only did his ministry for three years, sacrificed his life, and then rose from the grave. We all love the rose from the grave part. But essentially, if I say I don't deserve to suffer, it essentially cheapens what Jesus did. And again, that's not a fair thing to say on a Sunday morning at 1130. But again, someone that says I don't deserve to suffer in this life, I'm going to say as, as someone that does his work for a living, you need to hash that out with someone, whether that's with God or with your parents, or maybe if you're a parent, you need to hash it out with your spouse. This time frame, the last seven months has taught us that if we don't acknowledge the suffering, we are going to suffer worse. And I'll get into that in the next couple of, next couple of slides. So again, I don't deserve to suffer. Um, I wanted to strike that sentence from possibly your brain and heart for the rest of your life. Uh, if our Savior did it, then not to say that we should go look for suffering, but we are likely going to suffer a little bit. Okay. And so the solution is if anyone that knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do, doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So a very loaded statement, someone that's sort of a, a negative Nancy, sorry if there's anyone named Nancy on the Zoom call, but if someone's sort of negative behavior, they're only going to focus on the, well, it's a sin. If I don't do it, it's a sin. Hey, it's a sin. But if you see the nuance in this, it's basically if anyone then knows the good they ought to do, so there's a good that we know we ought to do, and we should do it, or we, we need to do it. And so the big hint here I'm saying to you is we need to continue relying on God and demonstrating his love to others even more now, even more now. And then uh, this is one of my favorite memes from like the last two years, this dog on a keyboard, because I'm seeing variations of this with cats on keyboards, with uh, other dogs on keyboards, or with, you know, different pets on keyboards. But um, I'll just repeat from verses one through three. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your, from your desires that battle within you? So the, the thing I want to note for all of us, and myself included, is that we have competing battles even within us, right? I'd like to be able to at some point, you know, hang out with your congregation. Uh, if, I get, if I get to speak there again in the future, um, there's a different congregation I speak at uh, in Livermore. I was supposed to help out with their basketball tournament back in March, and that got canceled before shelter in place. And so there's a very many things I wanted to do, and then there's a thing that God wants me to do. And so you desire, but you do not have, and so you kill. 
You covet, but you cannot get what you want. And so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on pleasures. As much as I could say there's intelligent things to add to that, it's pretty plain to see from, from verses one through three, what's wrong here for with us. On the other hand, uh, you know, Brother Jerry and Brother Jimmy invited me, so I will add something to this in the next slide. And that's not only do we not know sometimes what we're doing, um, these two things, I think if, if you were to take these away from, from this passage, uh, these are probably the two most important things. If we're not following God, during, especially during a time where we need to rely on him, we could be seriously damaging our ability to positively impact our communities and world for God. Um, I'll get to examples of that in a second. Two, and this is more because I am someone that works with individuals and families and couples, we could be causing semi-permanent or even long-term emotional and relational damage for ourselves. Uh, congregation, I, I worked previously at the two county jails and when shelter in place happened, one of the first things I thought, huh, I'm guessing there's gonna be more people that you know abuse drugs and alcohol or abuse, do behavioral stuff or steal because people are struggling. The sadder thing I saw was that the first few months there were more people um, harming each other, meaning uh, family members harming each other, uh, parents harming their kids, kids harming other kids in the family. And so this is what I mean, uh, brothers and sisters, we could be causing semi-permanent or even long-term emotional and relational damage for ourselves. Uh, so instead of being, you know, what I thought I would be right on, which is people would be struggling with individual things they were doing to themselves. What was happening during this COVID or this shelter in place was that people were harming each other and they didn't know how to cope with their own distress. Uh, so this is something that I'm, I'm saying for your, yourself at the other side of the screen, let's watch that in ourselves. I need to watch that in myself from the way I treat Emily and, and the people that I encounter. And so these two things, um, I don't pretend to know what's gonna happen after this year or even after uh, shelter in place is over after, after we get the vaccine. But these two things, I think people like myself are gonna be concerned about for the next you know, half decade, if not longer. So pause, you know, let's pause and think about that for a bit. And so this is sort of the final lesson and I know I've been piling on at this point, but for our, our taxpayer, tax paying adults, which is uh, several people on this call, there's a real chance that in the last decade, at least since the 08 recession or the, or the great recession as we call it now, that we've been sort of socking away savings, we've been investing, we've been, uh, remortgaging our house, we've been buying bigger houses. There's a danger that we may have built our lives and spiritual houses on sand. And we now know if you've been in church for a while, we have uh, learned, you know, that in, in VBS, you know, we've learned that in worship songs. And yet for us adults, the very danger is living in this uh, unique place as we, we try to build our, our lives and our houses on sand. Uh, literally, if you live in North Milpita or North San Jose or Milpitas or Alviso, you are living on sand, right? And so uh, we need to rebuild our lives on the rock. And that's, a, you know, I, I had a hard time finding a heart-shaped rock on, on uh, Google images, but uh, essentially this is what we need to be doing for the next, uh, probably the rest of our lives, is we need to look back at, at God and say, you know, hey, what do I, not hey God, but like, hey God, what do I need to do? Um, I'm hurting. Uh, my life stinks right now. It's not as good as it was before. And so we need to rebuild our lives, especially for the adults on the call, the people that pay the taxes. Uh, we need to rebuild our families and our, our houses on the rock. 
And that might look different for your congregation than my congregation, than my friend's congregation. But essentially, we are not looking at God enough. And sometimes it's, as a, as a red-blooded male, sometimes I want to do it on my own and then get God's approval later. And so I'm saying for us prideful adults, that's the very thing that God wants to strip away in our lives, is that when we're trying to do it ourselves and have God buy in because we, you know, we want to do what we want to do. And so as I pause, what, what then can we do as believers? Um, I'm sure I want us thinking about ideas. I, I know maybe in Thanksgiving, I might have you guys uh, interact with me a little bit more on the sermon, but let's think about what we, what we can do for a little bit before we get into the last couple of slides. And so this is more for, I guess, everyone on the call, those of you who are doing work and school. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Arthur C. Brooks. He's a professor at Harvard Kennedy School, also a podcaster and a writer. He says this, and this was uh, even back as early as April. In the case of the coronavirus lockdowns, the complaint about work I most often hear is that with the inability to work in a normal way, our productivity is ruined. We can't perform up to our own standards, whether because of competing childcare demands, being isolated from other coworkers, or quite frankly, what you guys are all feeling, Zoom fatigue, it is maddening. The answer is to change the definition of productivity. Other parts of a truly productive life are begging for your attention. And he, he notes on this podcast, relationships, health, rest, helping others, right? So again, instead of saying like, what is wrong with this world? I need to work harder or what is wrong? I need to take on seven jobs or let me, you know, uh, I'm even telling my students this at the college that I teach at, Hey, you need to get some letters behind your name. So do, you know, continuing ed, get more degrees. And so I, I'm probably guilty of being a hypocrite on this. Um, instead, change the definition of productivity. Okay. And I specifically want to talk to my students um, because what I'm seeing a lot is Gary, my, my son, uh, Jim, is not wanting to do his homework. In fact, he's crying on the floor and throwing tantrums and he's 14. Or my daughter Emily is, you know, uh, wanting to quit school and going into a trade school. And so notice in those phrases, the focus is only on the, the mechanism to which they want to do work or school or get degrees. I want to encourage you to think about just maybe the answer isn't there in, 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 that, in that line of uh, thinking. The answer could be somewhere else. And so I want us thinking about these, these things on the next slide. And I'll, I'll sort of let it sink in for a bit. So go ahead and read the slide for a little bit before I, before I jump in. One thing that I am very guilty of, as, as I imagine many of us have been guilty of, we have not been actively recalling the previous times God provided, rescued, bolstered, loved, reinforced, and most importantly, held us. I like, you know, from the worship this morning, we, during corporate worship, we lift up God because he deserves it. And two, having our voices sing to him um, helps us to reconnect with God in a meaningful way. And yet when it comes to bad times, sometimes we get so caught up into, I, you know, I got laid off. I am, you know, not getting to travel. I am this, I am that. The focus is on the eye, on me. And so we need to actively recall the previous times God has provided for us, rescued us, bolstered us, loved us, reinforced us, and held us. 
on the other hand, I've just told you to basically go to God and, and almost uh, essentially repent and to ask for forgiveness. And yet, number two, we need to take it easier on ourselves. And the reason being, think back to my example of people harming each other during shelter in place. If we take it easier on ourselves, and I'm saying this for the parents on the call, there, when we take it easier on ourselves, we make it less demanding on our friends, family, kids, spouse, you name it. So there's this interesting thing that happens when there's good news that be posted on your Facebook wall or on your Instagram wall, you get all these likes, like you get 10 bajillion likes, 900 likes for, you know, I bought enough toilet paper to last through 2022. Yay, right? But guess what happens when, when you say, you know what, I'm struggling with this. I don't know if I could vote for this guy. I don't know if I could hold on with my job till next year. Oftentimes people have said people don't respond on my, on my social media wall. And so I'm saying in response to that, take it easier on yourself, thereby making it less demanding on everyone else around you. And it's not a very clean cut thing. If, if you tend to just basically uh, get on yourself all the time, then that might be something that you can work on with your pastoral counselor or, or a therapist or with, um, with your parent if they're willing to work with you on, on this stuff. Uh, but take it easier on yourself. Number three, this is purely counseling therapy speak. So I'll just sort of leave it as bland as possible. Allow yourself to feel what you feel. And mo most importantly, pay attention to your body and what it is telling you. We men, I, I know if you guys are watching my camera, um, we men feel our stress most in the torso, okay? Um, for women, they feel it most in their neck, in their forehead. And that's why you might hear migraine headaches a lot for, for our female uh, sisters in Christ. Um, they might feel sinus pain. So again, men feel it more physically, which is why you know, you'll hear men say, I just ran 5K and I feel great. But if we say, hey, exercise wise for women, our sisters in Christ, and we tell them to go exercise, really what they need on top of the exercise is connection with other sisters in Christ to share with and to pray with, okay? So allow yourself to feel what you feel and pay attention to your body, um, especially if you're getting sort of heart stuff or, or stomach stuff, that's usually a sign that the anxiety is overwhelming you or, or hurting you. And this last one, I think this is something that I need to get better at, and I'm, I want to encourage you guys to get better at, is forced creativity. Right, one of the first things that happened when uh, shelter in place happened, we were given a week off of work. And so uh, it's, this sort of horrified my wife, but I slept about 16 hours a day the first four days. And so it wasn't until about Thursday afternoon of that week, I was like, hey, let's go out and get some food and bring it home. And the look on my wife's face, which is kind of what it, what it mimics now, she's like, what? You just slept for like 97 hours. What do you want to do now? And so acknowledging that my body was tired, that my spirit was tired, but once I got the rest I needed, that was when uh, sort of the, the week, the rest of the week got better. And so when we know that we have limitations, and I'm, I'm speaking directly to you students and to you tech workers, you've got this X number of hours a day to work with. What does that mean? That means however many number of hours you're awake minus your work day or your school day, that's your window to work with. That's your window to do the creative stuff. Um, you know, I might be, uh, please parents don't, don't yell at me offline, but you know, one of the things I do with my niece, she's 14, uh, is we schedule in an animal crossing time every weekend. So we, we spend an hour, you know, she visits my island and I visit her island. So it's an online game and uh, on your Nintendo Switch. And so we do sort of a play date because uh, she's in Florida and I'm here, right? And so I'm not saying everything has to be tech. It could be 
uh, one of the other creative ideas I, I had for the families I worked with was uh, the kids really love fast food, which I don't recommend all the time. But I said, take a drive family to Gilroy and guess what Gilroy has? A Sonic, if you like Sonic. Uh, so take your kids to Sonic, which is 35 miles away one way. Let the kids pick the lunch, parents, and then talk on the way back home. And that's a three hour trip, right? So, so we must acknowledge the limitations we have. And that's essentially this screen, this box that we are seeing each other on. But again, it's, it's encouraging for me to see, you know, Rebecca leading worship, Brother Jerry giving announcements. We have what I think was uh, announcements earlier that were like, that were cycling through. And so we sort of work through the limitations we have. And so I'm encouraging you to continue to do so, if only but to survive at least the next six to 12 months. Uh, so please don't give up in that sense. And so I think this is a good stopping point for, for us uh, in terms of, of this sermon. Um, I still have not found a real comfortable way to, uh, you know, if I were teaching class, I would do a Q&A, but I don't feel comfortable doing that here necessarily. But I want us to pause and step back and go like, wow, this Gary guy threw a lot of information at me. But essentially, hopefully some nuggets of, of truth from God have stuck out for you um, and that you'll sit back and and say, like, I really need to focus on, um, you know, if you look at this picture on the bottom right, the sunlight only shines on the path that, that goes forward. And I'm pretty sure this is Photoshopped, but the, the sunshine is only coming down on the road ahead. And so the stuff on the side, the shrubbery, the dirt, the unknown unknowns to the side, they're not being highlighted by the sunshine. And so that there's probably a good visual picture for some of us who are more visual of what this next immediate future is going to look like. And so I'm saying God knows your path. Uh, God knows our path and we need to follow him. And we also need to do good. Okay. So I'm gonna stop sharing here. I wanna uh, pray us out before uh, we, we uh, respond in, in song. Uh, so let me pray for us, okay? God, thank you for this congregation. I pray for you to bolster them even more in this next coming months and weeks. I pray for hearts to change. I know some of us are just uh, at a breaking point. For those of us at breaking point, I pray that you would lead uh, these brothers and sisters to the right help, uh, whether it's the, the uncles and aunties in the church, whether it's the pastors, whether it is uh, a therapist or a counselor. I pray that you would guide them to you uh, meaningfully and that you would just console them and comfort them. Uh, for the rest of the congregation, I pray for uh, resilience. I pray for um, perseverance. These words that we're not used to saying out loud. I pray for spiritual strength. I pray for the Holy Spirit to continue to uh, love them and to guide them into the next steps, and especially for this work and school stuff. I pray for uh, what I would call maybe not traveling mercies, but I pray for uh, merciful and graceful um, compassion on each of these workers and, and uh, students that they would get to do what they need to do for the next couple of years. Uh, without suffering any more loss than they already have. And most of all, we thank you for this gift that you have through your son, Jesus. Uh, we know that we are not here without him. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.